Welcome to Reframe Your Life. I'm Joanne Gibson. And I'm Sandy Reynolds. Together, we bring you our podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives thoughtfully and with intention. On our episodes, we explore diverse topics relevant to all areas of our lives. Hi, Life Reframers. It's our great pleasure to open up our 2018 season with uh, one of uh, my friends, Erin Power, who we've had on before back in episode 28. So as you're listening to this episode, if you're even more curious about learning some more, go back to episode 28. We've asked Erin to come on again because it's the start of the new year and a lot of people do these things called New Year's resolutions and a lot of it's around healthy eating and physical activity. So we thought, you know what, we want to get Erin on and talk specifically about the ketogenic diet. Before we say hello to Erin, I'm just going to say hello to Sandy. Hi, Joanne. I'm really looking forward to spending some time with Erin again today. I think it's coming at a good day, a good day after lots of eating and drinking for me. So I'm very excited <laughs> about this. And I'm just going to introduce Erin's bio and then we'll launch in to say hello to Erin. Erin has spent over 20 years in marketing and business communications before making the leap to functional nutrition consulting and health coaching. Concurrent to her 20 years spent in marketing and advertising, she has also spent over 20 years and is still in the fitness industry as a personal trainer and group fitness instructor. And that's where Erin and I met a number of years ago. And through most of her career, she watched people fail time and time again, following all the rules, the correct rules about healthy eating, shelling out all the money, counting, weighing, measuring, diarizing, feeling dejected, and not really understanding why our bodies were consistently failing um, ourselves and her clients and her colleagues and herself. It was uh, when her own health took a dramatic turn for the worse that really woke her up to the fact that everything we had learned in the fitness industry, and I'm going to say that government has told us, <laughs> is wrong. Everything she learned about um, healthy eating and counting calories was absolutely incorrect. So Erin did a lot of research and she dove into the research, actually went on a journey to heal herself and became evangelical about teaching people the true biochemical workings of metabolism. She then enrolled in nutrition school at the tender age of 37 years old and she graduated with a diploma in natural nutrition and starting her coaching business. So now she teaches everyone else about her personal journey. Eating for your body and having a great relationship with your food is the way forward. So from there, she's taken a number of extra, extra coaching and training seminars, uh, including Primal Health Coaching Certification from Mark Sisson, and she now works on Mark's team, coaching other coaches as well as having her own clients. Erin believes the body is a beautiful, complex machine and sets out to educate people how best to get it working for them. It's her mission to enable everyone to achieve an effortless relationship with food once and for all. Welcome, Erin. 
Hi, guys. How are you? Happy New Year. So, Erin, we're super excited to have you talk about the ketogenic diet. And if people can see me, I've got my little fingers up with the little (laughs) exclamation mark (laughs) because it was the top searched term in 2016. Well, top searched uh, Google diet kind of term in 2016. And I imagine you can... uh, shed more light on this, I'm sure, but I imagine it's going to be for 2017 as well. Everyone seems to be wanting to go keto and be in ketosis. And Erin, you coached me and I'm part of a group where I'm learning a heck of a lot more. And uh, ke- ketogenic diet isn't about going keto, is it, Erin? Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Oh, honestly, I uh, you're you're exactly right that this is going to be probably the biggest diet trend, and I don't want to call it that. We'll probably mm. touch on why this is or isn't a diet trend. Well, I'm sure we'll touch on that in this call. But um, as you're learning, Joe, ketos, uh, sorry, a ketogenic diet or keto is not a diet. It's it's a metabolic state, which I don't want to start splitting hairs on, you know, the differences between those two terms. Well, I kind of do want to split hairs, actually. I'm pretty much into semantics a little bit. So, um, you know, it, everybody wants to go keto because it is being billed as some kind of, as a very rapid fat torching um, metabolic device, which it can be, but a lot of things can be right. I mean, calorie, calorie deprivation worked for a while too, in that regard, you know, everything can work for a little while. If you dive into it, um, imagining it's going to be your big, your big fat loss magic pill. Um, the ketogenic diet, um, like I mentioned it's a metabolic state. It's it's not really meant to be taken on as a diet. Like I'm going to go keto. In fact, the whole idea of going keto, it it kind of rubs me the wrong way. It, only again because I want people to understand what they're saying. I want people to understand what they're saying such that they can use language that that makes sense with regard to what they're talking about. So anyway, to be in ketosis by definition, being in ketosis is having an excess of ketone bodies in your bloodstream, which if you want to effectively hit a ketogenic diet, that's not what you want. You don't want ketones in your bloodstream. You want ketones being used as energy. So right off the bat, the language is wrong. We don't really mm-hmm. want to be in ketosis. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna necessarily, you know, get too crazy with that with people because they're just they're just saying what they know, what they what they're hearing. What we really are, are talking about is is following a ketogenic diet. Now I'm using your quotes. We want to follow a ketogenic diet. <laughs> <laughs> and. When we follow a ketogenic diet, it enables the body, it teaches the body to use ketones as a fuel source in the body. And ketones are a byproduct of fat mobilization. And I'm pretty sure everybody, everybody's ears perked up at the, the idea of fat mobilization. So it's really important to know that the first thing that has to happen is your body has to understand how to mobilize the fat off of your body. And then ketones become a byproduct of that, that the cells can absolutely use. It's totally viable, evolutionarily supported biologically perfectly safe um, energy source for the body. But to go keto, quote, air quotes again, Mm. um, you might, you're not going to have a good experience. So I'm really kind of hedging. I'm kind of dancing around. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're going to get into it a little bit more deeply. Um, But the end goal of, of the ketogenic diet is not to be in ketosis. The end goal of the ketogenic diet should be to become metabolically flexible, which is a term that we're hearing a lot more and is a term that when you think about it just sounds pretty awesome, right? Like, mm-hmm. doesn't that sound awesome? Yes. 
And I appreciate, Erin, that you want to clarify these terms, because I think that it empowers people to make better choices in their life when they understand what they're actually talking about. I was out with someone recently, and I've been dabbling, well, more than dabbling into this because my co-host has been a big influence on my (laughs) life. And so I said to someone, I just said, I'm trying to eat more protein and vegetables. And she said, Oh, you're on a keto diet. And I was (laughs) like, I said to her, what do you mean by that? And she was like, I have no idea. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, what happens? This is yes. what happens. I was the same. I uh, was at a conference and I don't know, I'd brought my own food or something and someone said, oh, what do you got there? And I said, oh, it's a salad with some chicken and, you know, it looks similar to what you've got on your plate. And she's like, yeah, I'm doing this whole low-carb thing. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, me too. And she's like, oh, you're keto? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not keto. Oh, my, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness me. This is going to be such an unusual year of conversations <laughs> around food. But but that's actually, it's just, to some degree, that that, boy, that those stories actually buoy me. They make me feel good because the people can look at a plate of meat and vegetables and say, oh, that's keto food. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, it can be. Um, because, yeah. cause, you know, because uh, keto food, again, there's a lot of air quotes happening here. You can't see yeah. them. But keto food, that's a loaded statement in and of itself. But it's really funny how, um, you know, you put a plate of meat and vegetables together and, well, I'm doing low carb. Well, I'm doing keto. Well, I'm doing if it fits your macros. Well, I'm doing blah. It's like, <laughs> honestly, meat and vegetables is human food. So let's just, it's just human food. It's just like the best, most nutrient dense food. Uh, it's the best way to make a meal, in my opinion, is just a bunch of meat and a bunch of veg. So, it's, but it's funny that we have to give it a name. Yeah. yeah, and imagine it's this new latest trend, which, which it's not, right? The keto ketogenic diet, if if you like, has been around medically, and I don't know so much about nutritionally, but certainly medically for a number of like years and years and years. Yeah, well, nutritionally, it's been around for like two point five million years. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, truthfully, and I I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but Mm -hmm. if it hadn't have been for our body's ability to run on ketones, we wouldn't be recording this podcast right now. Our species would never have made it this far. Because truthfully, um, the way it came about, the reason why our bodies had to create this ability to run on ketones or or free fatty acids or stored fatty acids or insert fuel source here, and this is a metabolic flexibility piece, is being able to use multiple fuel sources when required. Uh, But the reason why we had to adapt this way is because we had long periods of food scarcity when we were evolving, right? So this is the whole evolutionary piece. Um, And I don't think anybody necessarily will argue that unless you you tend to sort of skew sort of more creationist, in which case it gets a little bit fuzzy. but nobody can argue that we didn't have access to six small meals a day for the majority of our evolutionary mm-hmm. history. So the body had to figure out how to run itself in absence of food. So that's where ketones came in. So it's the oldest diet fad in the world, one of many old diet fads, because it's been around for millions of years, the entirety of human existence. And it's truthfully a survival mechanism that's that's enabled us to to survive and thrive to who we are today. Nobody's really tapping into it anymore because there's no food scarcity anymore. We have to kind of, we kind of have to force the issue a little bit and go on these sort of contrived diets to make this happen now. But that's why I think understanding the biology behind it is really important. And I probably go, I probably skew a little too in favor of wanting to geek out on the 
biochemistry of it, but I just, that's just me. Like, I feel like if you have the education, even at a high level behind what you're doing, it just makes it make more sense. And then your efforts seem to be more logical. And it's not just like, well, I don't know, I'm just on this low carb eating plan, I guess, you know, you know what I mean? Like you have more buy-in when you understand what and why you're doing it. Well, I think there's a greater chance of it becoming a lifestyle rather than a diet that you're on to lose 10 pounds when you understand the 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 uh, impact it's having on your body truthfully and and that's why this whole this whole piece around being metabolically flexible or metabolically efficient just having a metabolism that works as it's as it's intended a metabolism that works to keep us alive no matter what fuel is coming in or not um understanding that it, it does change the entire sort of trajectory of how you approach it. It's like, Oh, I'm not just doing this cause it's January 2nd and I'm on my new year's resolution kick. I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to um, alter my, my metabolic expression and, and, and change the way I can actually fuel my body to liberate myself from, from any and all diet fixation, potentially moving forward. Like that's to me, that's a, that's something I would sign up for. Yeah. Like I definitely. would sign up for metabolic flexibility. I'm not going to sign up for some, some diet, but I'm going to sign up for a lifetime of not having to ever think about or worry about where my body's going to get food from, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Well, at my age, flexibility of any kind is uh, a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we jump into some of the myths and misconceptions about uh, the ketogenic diet? Uh, should, okay. What, are, what should we be calling it? <laughs> Well, you know, we, I, I, I think we should be calling it a ketogenic diet, but I think we can call it keto for short Yeah. yeah. If, if we want to talk specifically about keto. Um, but we're, what we should try to get away from is, is glorifying this idea of being in ketosis. Yeah. I don't Whatever. It's not a big deal, but, but I think when you get into the definition of ketosis, that's where, that's actually, when you're talking about myths, since you were kind of leading into that, mm-hmm. a lot of people are trying to get into ketosis. So they're going out and they're buying their, their pee strips and they're going and buying whatever breath monitors or blood monitors. They're buying MCT oil. They're buying exogenous ketone drinks. They're buying and, and taking on these beha- buying things and taking on behaviors that are attempting to get them into ketosis. And that's again, not the goal. The goal is not to just have ketones in the blood, mm-hmm. like big deal. You have ketones in the blood. That's no different than having a pile of sugar in your blood. It's just a pile of fuel in your blood that your body's not using. What we want is the body to be using it. So there's a myth for you. Like if you're peeing on a stick and it's showing blood ketones or you're drawing blood for your finger prick and it's showing blood ketones, that is the ketones your body's not using. That That's wow. not exactly, that's not a, that's not a win. What, when you become really efficient at using ketones or any fuel source, your pee strips and your blood monitor is not going to register much of anything at all. So people are really chasing ketones, which is, which is not, which should not be the desired goal. There's just not, there's just not a lot of benefit to having tons of free ketones in the blood until your body knows how to use them. And it's quite amazing how people are stuck on that. And I was one of them until, uh, I saw the light, (laughs) but no, until going back to what you said, until I understood what it meant. Oh, you mean this is all the stuff I'm not using. Okay. So why do I want, why do I want to make it or to produce it and not use it? You know, um, and then as you adapt, I guess you get more efficient at only making what you need. Right. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. You, in terms your of body, the ketones? That, that is exactly right. The body 
is extremely good. The body is incredibly good at knowing what it needs. It's very good. And part of, I say this a lot in my health coaching practice is that what we've done a lot of the time, and this is, this is really by no, no fault of anyone. This is just sort of what society has pushed on us. And I don't want to like, you know, get all conspiracy theorists and start talking about society, but uh, (laughs) we've been really led down a lot of weird paths into believing that we have to control and muscle and outwit our bodies and our metabolisms. But, but actually those metabolic functions have served us for 2.5 million years without our, without requiring any intervention from us almost at all. Right. So once your body relearns what it already knows how to do, once it's like, okay, all right, we're off the sugar train now. Okay, now I can either choose to use sugar if there's some in the blood, or I can free up glycogen if I want to get some quick glucose from the liver muscle cells. If I don't have any access to that, I'll maybe use some free fatty acids from that lunch, you know, she just ate. If there's no free fatty acids, I'll maybe use some free amino acids from the chicken that, you know, you had for dinner, whatever. If not, I'll go to stored fatty acids. I'll start liberating those stored fatty acids, which, again, is something that probably most people really would like to achieve in their lives. And as a, as a neat side effect of all of this, once I mobilize those stored fatty acids, I get these ketones as a byproduct, which the brain, muscle, the, brain the heart muscle, all of the, the muscle cells in the body can easily use. It's just like, how liberating is that? To know your body can extract fuel from virtually anything you eat or don't eat. Um, we just get out of its way and it does what it's designed to do. And I have experienced that after eating uh, low carb for the last three months and just being mindful and checking in with my body, I guess, every day and going, okay, what what am mm-hmm. I feeling today? Am I feeling more hungry, less hungry? Awesome. What do I feel like eating? Do I feel like eating a big plate of bacon and <sighs> eggs or do I really feel the need for a big salad? I'm a believer now. I firmly believe it's just my body's way of triggering yeah. what I need and what I don't. Well, how amazing is that? How amazing yeah. is that to be able to tap back into your own intuition around, like, to, to actually, it's a sense of control. Not control, though. That's the wrong word. It's it's. What the word? I guess the word is like just absolute liberation from needing mm-hmm. to think about what you need to eat. But I love, Joe, that you are tapping into those subjective markers, right? So that's where, you know, I've got clients right now who have come to me through that that keto group that you belong to now, Joe. I've yeah, got a lot right. of clients for that keto group. Oh, awesome, and, awesome. And, yeah, and, and quite, they're always telling me about their pee strips. It's like, great, whatever, I don't care. Uh, how do you feel? <laughs> like, I'm, I pull no punches. It's like, I really don't care about your pee strips. How do you feel? How's your energy? How's your hunger? What are your cravings showing up as? You know, what's your appetite like? That's going to tell you if you're fed or not. All we're working on when we're talking about metabolic repair or metabolic efficiency is are your cells adequately fed with the way you're eating now? And we can tell if your cells are adequately adequately fed because they give very clear signals. They're like, if your energy is down and you're having weird sugar cravings, then your cells have not been adequately, they're not mm. adequately fed. We need to work on that some more. And your pee strips may or may not, you know, <laughs> reflect that. But your subjective markers of how you feel, hunger, energy, cravings, does tell us that. And you don't have to invest any money in any kind of gadgets. I, I'm just so anti-gadget. Mm. Getting worse getting worse by the year, actually, on the gadget. Um, wow. I'm turning into a little curmudgeon, I think. I don't know. I appreciate what you're saying because one of my big resistance in a lot of um, 
the conversations that I've been a part of is not just around gadgets, but also around making things really complicated. Like for me, it has to be easy or I'm not into it. I've never been a way my food kind of person or, you know, like counting calories. I have great resistance. I love tracking everything in my life except food for some reason. So as soon as it gets into that kind of thing, I start to resist it. But I like the idea of just uh, tapping into some of your intuition around it. And I wanted to ask you a question about cravings because you mentioned it. And it is um, a lot of, you know, I, I have cravings for different foods. And what I'm hearing you saying is it's not to uh, give your body what it's craving, but to just recognize that the very fact you're having a craving is an indication that something's missing. So what do people do when they have those kind of, like a craving for sugar or something sweet? What? Yeah. So, so typically when somebody, you know, you, you made a really good point and you've probably heard this, this articulated in, in wellness circles before, but this idea that when you're, when you're having a craving, it's your body crying out for something, mm-hmm. right? So if you're craving salt, it's because maybe your electrolytes are a little bit low. Your body's trying to get that, you know, worked out or whatever. If you're craving vegetables, maybe because your micronutrients have come in a little bit low, your vitamins and phytochemicals and stuff. So when you're craving like a big salad. That's maybe your body's way of asking for more phy- uh, phytos or micronutrients. When you're craving sugar, this is where it gets a little bit different because uh, sugar is a a macronutrient, it's a fuel source. If the body is really craving sugar, and when I say sugar, uh, I really mean anything in the carbohydrate realm because carbohydrate just breaks down into sugar. Mm -hmm. So like when when a craving comes from your body, it's really ultimately coming from your cells. Those are the, you know, the building blocks of our lives. Um, And when, when they're when they're asking for sugar, they don't really care if it comes from a loaf of like 12 grain bread or a bag of jelly beans. Like they're just like, we just need glucose. So when your cells are crying out for sugar, AKA glucose, it's, it could be because it's quite often because you're not metabolically flexible. But all the cells know is I just need, we just need sugar. So you kind of have to teach your body. Well, you can make sugar. You can make sugar from free amino acids. You can make it from free fat. Uh, free fatty acids, stored acids, you can run on ketones. This is, this is the whole metabolic flexibility piece because this, because sugar is the, is the fuel source for the cell. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That's, that's, that's well-known fact. Glucose is the fuel source for the cell, but where you get glucose from is, is that metabolic flexibility piece. So if you're craving breads, sugars, alcohol, cola, candy, sweets, um, it's just because your body's looking for that quick sugar hit because it hasn't maybe figured out how to create its own sugar from within mm. the other thing the other piece of that too is now if you when you're talking about this kind of craving where it's a little bit different than electrolytes or micronutrients because if you were to answer that craving say well my body's asking for you know jelly beans so i'm just gonna go eat some jelly beans it must my body must need jelly beans for a reason otherwise <laughs> i'm being real intuitive here so you go and eat those jelly beans and then you get this flood of sugar into the cells which makes them feel better um, that's Pavlovian. Now you've created this Pavlovian layer to your, to your sugar problems, because not only did you, you gave the cells what they needed, this fast sort of unreliable fuel, which is disabling the cell's ability to become metabolically flexible. But now you've also created this sensation in your brain where you're like, I felt bad. Then I ate jelly beans. Now I feel good. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really mentally hard to break. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of stuff at play there. I was told when I was doing my nutrition that cravings aren't actually real, like your body can't crave something, I guess. So, um, it, it, and it, you know what? I, 
we're going to go into the words because I think what we've spoken about a lot so far is that words make a difference. And so I don't think necessarily I crave anything. It's just more like, hmm, I, I, I want a salad today. Like I feel like I want a salad today rather yeah. than I'm craving a salad, you know. And I, and I have to say, yeah, since being metabolically flexible, I don't think I've craved sugar. However, now that I've overloaded myself on a little bit of sugar the last few days, it's very easy for that feeling of wanting sugar each day to come back, like external sugars that, you know, that, that my body isn't making to come back. So that's kind of where right. I'm at right now. It's like, uh-huh, now you've woken this little monster up again. <laughs> it is a little monster. Yeah. It's a, but that, what a great insight that ha- that is for you to have now, right? I really like when people have those experiences, so somebody like yourself, Joe, who has kind of turned the corner and you're, you're no longer, you know, like that was a really great um, bit of verbiage you just had there where like, I didn't crave a salad. I just was like, I just want to eat a salad. And that's hard to articulate to somebody who's still kind of in this, this loop of, of, of weird, unmanageable hunger to, to explain to them how hunger presents once you've gotten your appetite under control. It presents completely differently and it's really hard to articulate until you've experienced it. But yes, mm. your the body the body really the body just knows how to do what it needs to do, right? So and like anything, it's going to take the path of least resistance. And the the path of least resistance from a fueling standpoint is just eating eating sugar or eating carbohydrate or shortbread or whatever holiday treat it was that you were indulging in that broke down into sugar. The body's like, "Oh, great. We're just eating piles of sugar. Sweet. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's just kick back. I don't have to do any metabolic work. Here she's going to keep feeding me sugar." I love Christmas because I just get all this free glucose in the blood. It's so easy. And so, yeah, and then once it gets used to this, like, continuous sort of uh, drip of sugar into the blood, it kind of it kind of kicks back and relaxes for a bit. So you have to just, you know, you really have to just kind of nip it in the bud. Okay, I'm done with all this sugar. Now, for most people who have gone through a transformation like you have, Joe, like your palate changes, your ener- you know, you start to oh. be more tuned with your energy too. So, like, you can tell when you've had too much crap, you don't feel good, your body's telling, asking you to kind of stop it. So you, it's not hard for you to stop with the treats, right? Because you're you're at this point now. But somebody mm-hmm. who's kind of transitioning through, that that can be a really detrimental backslide to go back into the sugar cycle because the body kind of kind of digs it. The body's kind of like, oh, this is really easy fuel for me to access. Like, of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage this behavior. You know, talk about high fat, Erin. High fat, add fat, let's just eat lots and lots of fat and then we're going to produce ketones. (laughs) (laughs) It's another one of these myths if you haven't realized, people. (laughs) It is a myth. So, okay, so so a ketogenic diet is, I know I've touched on this already, but it's it's important to touch on it again. Mm. A ketogenic diet is one where carbohydrate is restricted. So, again, this is what we just finished saying. The body's easiest fuel is carbohydrate. Um. Now, we have to restrict that, like we were just talking about, so that the body is incentivized to find other fuel. So a ketogenic diet is therefore a a carbohydrate-restricted diet. And in order to uh, mobilize fat and create ketones and do all this other metabolic stuff, you just have to restrict carbohydrate. But the high-fat piece of that, like, I have to think about how I want to articulate this because, Mm. because for some people the high fat version of keto of ketogenic diet is working for them. And it's really because right. fat is a, is a pretty satiating macronutrient. And while they're working on getting off their carbohydrate, uh, the carbohydrate train, they're finding, you know, 
if I really increase the fat on my plate, it helps to satiate me. And then I'm not reaching for the candy bar, you know, or whatever my mm. insert carbohydrate, you know, here, but a high fat diet is not a ketogenic diet. A low carbohydrate diet is a ketogenic diet. So I just think that that's a really important distinction to make. Like I don't do a high fat diet. I don't eat a high fat diet at all. I probably have a moderate to low fat diet. And truthfully, the fat that I eat comes along for the ride with the protein that I'm eating. I don't throw avocados on everything and I'm not dumping MCT oil on all my food. Like I'm just, it's just, you know, it's just this sort of these fatty cuts of protein, egg yolks, you know, great uh, natural sources of fat that come along for the ride. Mm. No, that that helps. I mean, Sandy's been doing a lot of reading too, and it gets very confusing when there's a lot of stuff out there, and that's why I kind of go, uh, well, that's why I, I engage your help and, and Erin and, uh, and kind of go to the websites that I know and trust because, you know, all of a sudden you hear people put butter in their coffee and they mm. eat butter and drink olive oil <laughs> and... Who would like that? Like, I have you ever tried to eat a spoonful of coconut oil? It's so vile. No. It's disgusting. <laughs> oh. and, and so some of the principles of, of, of Mark, who, who I now follow and who you are in his team with, is everything. And this is, these are the little nuggets that I remember. Everything you put in your mouth should be, ta- like, should taste good. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care how good the butter is, like. I know. I just don't want to put a stick of butter in my mouth. So so I think that's something I've learned along the way that we want to make sure listeners hear that the fat isn't necessarily added over and above. I mean, yeah, I I eat more avocado than I used to, but that's because I was on like a strict super, 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 super low-fat diet. Um, But avocado is okay, and and maybe I add some healthy avocado uh, mayonnaise every now and then, but... um, yeah, I went like, through that journey of eating way too much fat and then going, oh, my God, now what am I doing? Yeah, it's like incidental like incidental fat contact yeah. is basically <laughs> what ends up being, which is fine. And avocados are an incredibly healthy source of a lot of other things. So avocados are great, but it's like, um, you know, like we were, we could talk about fat bombs because that's sort of the, uh, the evolution of this topic is like people making these little coconut butter treats at home. And it's like, what's your favorite fat bomb recipe? Check out these fat bombs I made. Hey, guys, what's, you know, give me a good fat bomb. It's like, why? Why are we making fat bombs? You know, like, I, that's a question I ask a lot in my life and in my practice. And anything in health is like, okay, but why? So when somebody says, um, should I eat fat bombs? I'm like, why? Why would you eat fat bombs? Well, to get more fat into my diet every day. Okay, but why? <laughs> like, don't <laughs> you have fat on your body that you want to move? Like, isn't that, like, you've got fat on your body. So, you know, once you've taught your body to use fat as fuel, which is a great thing, I, the ideal situation would be that your body would start to mobilize your stored fat, right? And just continue to put fat downrange if you have fat on your body to, to use, right? So I, I was in, um, I was actually down in Malibu with, so I was down in Malibu um, with meetings at Mark Sisson's house, and uh, he's the guy who wrote the Keto Reset Diet, but he's also written a lot of books around metabolism and metabolic flexibility so his best-selling book is the primal blueprint which is honestly just such a great easy read and really explains all this stuff at such a a gettable high level it's 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 just it it, with people who read that book they say wow this makes so much sense and that's a really nice experience to have when you're you know you're kind of navigating the choppy waters of diets is to say oh this makes perfect sense anyway so i was down at mark's house and 
this is such a weird cultural divide that we have with with the United States. But up in Canada, we really just have access to less, sorry, to fewer healthy treats. Again, air quotes, healthy treats. So I went to Whole Foods and I bought these little keto cups. And keto cups is like a little glob of coconut butter with some unsweetened dark chocolate around it. And there was like a little bit of mint in there. So it was like mint chocolate coconut cup. And I was eating it. And I was like, I mean this is fine. It tastes okay. Um, I, if these were available in Canada, I probably wouldn't buy them because I don't understand why I would. Like, I, I think I have a mental block around fat bombs because it's like, if I'm going to have a treat, I'm going to have a legit treat. Like I have, there's food and there's treats. And if I'm going to have a treat, it's a treat. I'm not going to have some fake treat or some healthy treat. I don't want to blur the line between food and treats. Mm. Like I think mentally, like psychologically, that's a bit of a strange line to blur. But at the same time, it's like, it's like the reason I would eat this is to get more fat in my diet. And I don't necessarily feel like I arbitrarily need more fat in my diet. I eat great, delicious, rich, fatty cuts of meat. I have, like Joe said, every bite of food I eat every day is perfectly delicious. I don't feel like I need this. So I, I'm a little bit close-minded about the idea of fat bombs or adding extraneous fat arbitrarily to our diets for any reason unless as we touched on earlier you're in like a medical ketosis kind of thing that's mm -hmm. where the high fat ketosis tends to be a bit uh, more beneficial right. um, and I think the reason for that is just because the fatty acids have really great neuroprotective properties so when you're dealing with brain injury which is really where ketogenic diets are typically used um, that carbohydrate restriction is extremely important but also shoring up fat intake is, is important for the neuroprotective properties. But for a regular person who's doing it because it's January and they're on a fat loss diet, it doesn't make sense to load your plate up with fat because you've got fat on your body. I love what you just said about treats because I think that's part of where we have issues around weight in our society in general. So we, we have made like good foods and special foods and we've got all these categories of foods and treats a big one that I think people start with their kids, right? You get a treat, you get a treat. Like we're, we're like, you talked about Pavlovian. We kind of train our kids that like they're little puppies, like here's a treat, here's a treat, here's a treat. You know? <laughs> oh God. It's so true. Yes. Well, and language matters, right? So treat. Now, it's funny you say that because uh, Ash and I went for a walk to get a coffee the other day and he's like, and he's been low-carb, the same as me, and he's like, those croissants look really good. So he, he had one. It was a choice. He had one. And then after I said, how was it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I wasted. I wasted my opportunity. <laughs> Wow. Next time I know I'm going to go to this place only because we know that we have a bakery who just does the most amazing things. He's like, mm -hmm. I felt like I wasted that. Like those <laughs> carbs that I just <laughs> took in were a waste because it wasn't tasty. Well, that's how I feel about gluten-free pizza. Like yeah. <laughs> right. pizza is the one thing. If I'm going to have a treat, it's often pizza. And like, oh, I'll have a gluten-free pizza, so it's less inflammatory. And it's like, no, that was, I should have just had a regular pizza. And, and pizza makes me feel miserable. And I have the exact experience all every single time that Ash had, where it's like, meh, I mean, that was, oh, it was okay pizza. It wasn't really worth the gut rot. Actually, I, if I could go back in time 12 hours, I would have had a steak instead. <laughs> like, I always had that experience, but I also think that's really cool. Like, I, yeah. I think it's really cool. And I like even when clients 
like clients before they go out for whatever they're, I always use this example, like their birthday dinner. They're like, Oh, I'm going out for my birthday dinner. I'm really nervous. It's like, well, why? Like what's the worst that could happen? It's your birthday. Like what's your favorite thing? You should eat that on your birthday. Oh, but what about my progress? It's like, no, 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 no. You should eat that. Give that a try and really acknowledge how, how it feels because most people, once they kind of get over this hump and they're off the sugar train and blah, 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 their palate changes. And even their, their desire for the foods they once thought they really loved, which again was more Pavlovian and more of a biochemical calling out for sugar than really a true love. Like a lot of times the foods that we used to love the most are just so just, they just become less interesting, which I think is extremely spiritually important when you're going through a big lifestyle change right to say yeah. wow I used to, I mean like I used to have the 12 the 12 inch subway tuna sandwich was my, <laughs> my Saturday treat because I taught these classes on Saturday back when I was burning sugar and I needed to replenish my glycogen stores with carbohydrates uh, I'd eat this whole loaf of bread with gross tuna on it and I loved it it was delicious it's the most disgusting thing on the menu at subway and that's really saying something and I went in to have that sandwich like a couple years ago. And I was like, Oh, yeah, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so good. I was so excited. And I took one bite. And it was like, Oh, my God, why did I ever eat this? But hey, whatever. It's a it's part of the journey. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of language, the other one I hear a lot is cheat meal. You know, the, just the way we speak yeah. is okay. So we're on this group and someone wrote, um, how do you get your greens in? And I was so desperately wanted to write through my mouth. Like, <laughs> I just eat them. Like, you know, people don't even understand the way they're even asking questions or the way they're talking about treats and cheats. And like you say, Erin, in your coaching, but like it's all around the psychological shit that's going on in our brains, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I saw this one on a different keto page, which I've on Facebook, which I just had to unsubscribe from because it's just oh, frustrating. But, and this one comes up a lot. And I, I try to be, I try my best to be really um, nurturing, but at the same time, a little bit of real talk doesn't hurt from time to time, yeah. right? So the question was, I'm going to the keg. What can I have that's keto friendly? You're like, right. You're going to a steakhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Eat steak. I mean, Steak is keto friendly. What steak? Like, why is that even a question that has to be asked? Do you know what I mean? Like, that just describes to me somebody who doesn't really understand keto because it's like, um, meat is probably the most obvious and easy ketogenically supportive food that exists. And you're going to a steakhouse. So it's just like, wow. But, you know, I think we have to kind of use kid gloves a little bit too, right? Because... It's a new thing. And it's just, you know, I always try to, it's not new for you, Joe. It's not new for me. And Sandy, I know you're dabbling in it too. But like, I think back to when I tried something new, right? I The last yeah. time I tried something new, I wasn't good at it right off the bat. Like when I took up pottery and I was terrible at it and I hated it. And I was like asking all these dumb questions, like just trying to get better at pottery. And the people who are good at pottery right. roll their eyes at me for not being naturally good at pottery. And that, I felt really unsupported in that. And it was like, I'm just trying to learn. I'm trying to get better. So I... I, I appreciate that people are trying to learn, but at the same time, if you were to take your learning to a place of biochemistry, and I, I know that that's not where most people's brains go, and I, I get it, but 
to, to, to buy a book, buy the Keto Reset book, buy mm-hmm. some other Keto book, buy a Primal Blueprint book or some book, or hire a health coach who can explain it to you, or, or just start reading a lot of blogs to understand what you're doing. If you understand what you're doing, then you don't have to ask questions like, what is keto-friendly at the keg or at Costco? or at the cheesecake mm-hmm. factory or you know you'll know like you'll just you'll just know ketosis on a more granular level mm. and appreciate it more i guess i think what we're saying is learn read be be open to learning and and i had to do that too however people who want to eat a ketogenic diet there's under 20 grams or under 50 grams and mark has his own thing around 50 grams and it's very hard for people to go from a general standard diet which could be over 200 grams of carbs to just drop it straight down and I, I think the thing you've mentioned a number of times is but I want to make sure our listeners here we can I can you know Ash can have his croissant because he has taken the time yes to reduce the carbs and become more fat adapted he hasn't done it for a week and then gone, oh, I'll have a croissant and done it for another week and gone, oh, I'll have a load of rice. He hasn't done, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's the journey. So what would you recommend for people around, okay, if I do want to start something different and we're calling this episode, you know, why you don't want to go keto, Mm -hmm. if I do want to start something different in January, what should it be? Well, I have this this sort of, uh, not a hashtag, but it's this, little collection of words I'm trying to socialize a bit here. It's this idea of keto eventually. Oh. Keto eventually. Like, you know, hashtag keto eventually. Maybe. Yeah. Keto, <laughs> keto eventually, maybe. <laughs> because, like, being in ketosis is the goal. Being metabolically flexible is the goal. Like, at that, if I could just put that on a t-shirt. You're exactly right, Joe. People are coming from pretty high-carbohydrate diets. And if it was too hydrate that would be really nice but most of the standard american diet as we call it even though we're in canada uh is like 450 or 500 grams of carbs or more it's very very high carbohydrate if you followed the food pyramid food guide as as it's sort of prescribed you'd be up around 400 and 400 grams 400 grams 500 grams carbohydrate it's a big jump to go down to i'm gonna say 50 okay because you're exactly right there's so many different numbers out there like and people are getting confused about net carbs and total carbs so here, let's just keep it real simple. 50 grams total carbs. Boom. So yeah. don't worry about subtract. Don't worry about net. Don't even forget I even said net carbs. <laughs> just 50 grams total. Aim for roughly around there. Like Mark says, around there. It doesn't have to be 50 on the dot or under 50. It's around 50. That's low enough that your body will need to figure out how to mobilize other fuel sources. But to go from 400 to 50 is horrible. And the reason why it's horrible is because you have not met the metabolic prerequisites. And I don't want to get too far into the science of this, but if you want to uh, really geek out on some good biology, Google mitochondria. This is a little mechanism inside the cell that really um, it works to convert fuel to energy. So when you know fuel comes in, it's got to convert to energy, right? And the mitochondria do that. But the thing is that glucose or carbohydrate doesn't require any conversion. It's just like, oh, oh. Okay, no, there it is. It's sugar. It's good to go, right? Boom. The mitochondria doesn't have to work to convert glucose mm. to fuel because it already is. And that's why I was saying earlier, when you're eating tons and tons of glucose, the body kind of backs off. It's like, oh, sweet. Yeah, we don't have to do anything because, you know, this is just, just pure fuel coming in. So 
But in order to run fatty acids or ketones or whatever other fuel source in your cells, there's a conversion that has to happen and the mitochondria perform that conversion. So you have to actually wake up your mitochondria and then generate some more mitochondria in the cells to be able to manage this conversion of an alternate fuel source. So if you go from 400 carbohydrates a day, 400 grams of carbs to 50 grams of carbs, you're not going to have enough mitochondria to facilitate creating energy. So you can imagine what would happen if your body is incapable of creating energy, you're going to feel horrible and you're going to declare a ketogenic diet to be a horrible and you're going to, you're just going to, you know, and I know somebody who did this, who locked themselves in their house for two days to get into ketosis and came out of the house on Monday and said, I'm in ketosis. Look at my blood glucose, my blood ketone reading. I'm totally in ketosis. And it's like, okay. And then two weeks later, the guy was like, oh my God, ketosis is horrible. I felt so low energy. My body was just shutting down. I was losing gains in the gym. And he was just kind of going on about how bad keto was, but it's because he didn't do any of the metabolic prerequisite work. So the answer to your question is we got step it down. Mm -hmm. So if you went from, let's say 400 grams of carbohydrate a day and you drop down to 200 or 150, like 100 to 150 grams of carbohydrate is still pretty low carb, relatively speaking. And it's enough carbohydrate still that your body is getting, you know, fuel. It's, it's being able to fuel itself, but it's still kind of slowly learning to mobilize some other fuels. It doesn't have quite as a dramatic, as a dramatic of a, a situation going on. You know what I mean? Cause you're kind of tapering. Um, for a lot of people, that's a big transition to go from 400 to like 150, but it's like exponentially more manageable than going from being a sugar burner to trying to be a ketone burner in the span of a weekend or whatever, right? right? So that's where yeah. we talk a lot about um, going through like a fat adaptation phase, which is what that, that, that phase is generally referred to as fat adaptation. We're adapting to, you know, the idea of mobilizing some stored fat, using that as fuel, and then over time, this is why it's keto eventually, maybe, over time, <laughs> your carbohydrates could continue to, to diminish. But I, I almost wouldn't force the issue. So I have a good keto story, because that was a, that guy I was talking about, it's a bad keto mm. story. And I really, actually quit telling his story, because I, I didn't get his permission, but I keep telling it everywhere I go. Because <laughs> uh, it's just such a bad story. But I have a good keto story. I have a client of mine who, who signed on with me about three years ago. Because she just wanted more energy and food wasn't working for her. And she was carrying around extra body fat. This is the story that you hear all the time. And it, her body just kind of was like metabolically not showing up. So we went through fat adaptation and she was really happy with that. We did a lot of other sort of healing of her gut and stuff too. But she was really happy with that. She felt better. Her energy was great. Her body was looking and feeling and just performing awesomely. Great. So we graduated her from my care. Life goes on. Two years later, she gets in touch with me again. She's like, I really like this way of eating and I want to go to the next level. So it's like, okay, she'd been at it for two years. So I said, well, we can dabble with some uh, ketogenic diet if you're in the mood for that. So she did. And because she had two years of metabolic, mm. you know, foundation laid, it was, a no, it was no problem for her to go into ketosis and her body just shredded out like it's ridiculous. You know, like she really responded well to it. She had no um, loss of energy. She, she, it didn't feel bad for her because she was already kind of working her way down there on her own. Um, yeah, so I, I, there, there's this prerequisite thing and, and Mark Sisson refers to it as the metabolic machinery, machinery and that is exactly what it is. Those little mitochondria, that's the, that's the thing you need to shore up before you start dabbling in a, in a ketogenic approach. 
Mm. And for people to get fat adapted, it depends, right? And you you work with people, um, and you'd ask them questions on on um, how they're feeling and stuff, which would help you realize or understand whether they're fat adapted or not. Mm. So we don't have to go into that, but it's not it's not a week, it's not a weekend. It's it's you know. I think it took me probably a good two months, um, yeah. you know, but I was pretty low carb already coming into it. So it, it just varies. And and even so, two months, but I still have to play around with it and I still have to be very mindful and all that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, it's easier, but um, the, the mind still plays games on me sometimes. So uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, eventually, like your other client, I might be like, yeah, okay, maybe I want to take the next step after now just eating primarily. So what people say, what I say to people is when they say, are you keto? I say, no, I'm primal. So to our listeners, if they want to learn more about it, go to Erin's website, eatsimple.ca, and she's a primal health coach. She coaches primal health coaches. Just don't go to her and say, you want to be keto? No, no, you can't. <laughs> you can, but she'll ask you some hard questions. <laughs> yeah, but why? <laughs> yeah, but big. why? And I think that's it. And, and, Sandy, that's like your journey too, right? I mean, I remember when you started too, you're like, oh, my God, I've – I don't feel hungry. I ate this nice eggs and bacon for breakfast. And oh, it's been crazy. And I, I was just thinking that, Erin, I want to tell you another great story. My husband is diabetic, and we started on this probably in November, right after my birthday in November. And he has never had such good readings in years, like with his blood glucose it's been stable it's been it doesn't he doesn't get the spikes and the he's like constantly telling me I don't know what these numbers mean but he's like oh my gosh I was like a seven I just did my blood sugar and it's seven like it's never been seven it's always been 12 yeah so it from uh you know not coming at it from a weight loss perspective but just coming at it from a healing your body of some of these um, issues like diabetes. It's it's been really motivating for both of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, t- you know, it's out of scope for a health coach like me or a nutritionist like me to start talking about curing diabetes. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Anybody who's listening, <laughs> however, um, you know, we can we can consider type two diabetes to be essentially carbohydrate intolerance. That's kind of what it is. It's carbohydrate intolerance. Your your cells have become intolerant and resistant to um, carbohydrate to sugar, right? So that's why you have to take the insulin dosage to you know shuttle that carbohydrate into your cells because the cells don't want it. So your cells have just become intolerant to carbohydrate. But it's funny because if you were if you had an intolerance to dairy, what would you do? You'd probably quit eating dairy. If you had an intolerance to peanuts, you'd probably quit eating peanuts. If, but for some reason, this idea around intolerance to carbohydrate is like a big mental shift for people. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of, I've had a handful of clients in my years of practice that that were type two diabetic, uh, even type one diabetic for that matter, um, who had dramatic results, just like your husband's, uh, on their on their blood glucose readings, like that, have come down from their dosage of insulin rapidly like mm-hmm. I had a client who was for 20 years on insulin and within two weeks his dosage was in two weeks of restricting carbohydrate not even restricting to keto levels I'm talking about restricting to like we were saying primal levels yeah. just slightly lower you know mm-hmm. um, it's incredibly beneficial for that there's a, there's a lot of um, lifestyle illness that has been created by our unfortunately our reliance on 
carbohydrate. And um, so there's a great side benefit to anybody who's struggling with any of those sort of inexplicable metabolic diseases. Mm. Yeah. Well, and even I know, I know, Erin, we have to wrap up because you have to go. But people who I've been spoken to, who I've spoken to, have said I just noticed after I stopped eating grains because they wanted to go keto, but they, you know, their first step was stop eating grains. Is that my arthritis? My joints are so much better. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it makes sense. And then I share the story that you told me. <laughs> That's, you know, um, it, carbohydrate. Yeah, I mean, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Carbohydrate. Yeah. It's, you know, they're not loaded because there's not as much water required to break down that that carbohydrate. But, but that's a great point that I just want to, I know I interrupted you because I was so excited that you said that (laughs) because like we're talking about carbs, 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 carbs. Um, So the beautiful thing about going primal first is that it's actually an anti-inflammatory whole foods approach. So the first thing you do is take away grains, right? So grains are humongous source of carbohydrate, which is why people think they're getting rid of it. Well, I'm on keto, so I can't eat grains. Well, actually, grains are very inflammatory. So um, that's the reason why in a primal templated eating plan, grains go away because there's these inflammatory compounds that afflict our gut. They afflict our intestinal lining and, and really inflame them. And that makes us sick. It makes us feel bad. So when people say they feel better when they've gone keto, a big part of that is because they're not eating these inflammatory grains anymore. And so it's not just that carbs are bad. Some are fine. Like vegetables are carbs. Please eat those. You know, there's the safe starches that we have in the white potatoes or white rice or whatever, yams. Um, the grains are bad. The legumes can be bad. You know, there's inflammatory compounds that, that are a totally different story. Uh, separate from the keto thing, but in my opinion, are more important because if your body is inflamed, it's not working properly. And if your body's not working properly, uh, every single diet or lifestyle change you attempt to make is going to be an uphill battle. So we get a heal for that inflammation first, which is why going primal before keto is another reason why it's such a nice intermediary step. Yeah. Awesome. And so in short, I mean, there's so many things to going primal, but when friends asked me what I did, I said, well, I stopped eating grains. I stopped eating sugar and I stopped eating industrial processed oils. And there's so much more to pr- the primal lifestyle. It's not just a way of eating. It's a whole lifestyle that, that I've started to bring in, which means I'm exercising a little bit less and changing the way I exercise and things like that, which is a whole nother podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, do you think if you are interested this is the beginning of the year it's the second of january try one or two things but stop eating grains for a few weeks and see how you feel um and i would say sign up to erin's newsletter she doesn't spam and actually you probably only send them out every two months or a quarter or something like that but yeah, it's very she sporadic them, she um speaks about any specials that she may be having it just came at the right time for me I thought you know what I want to learn more about this lifestyle so I engaged Erin as as my primal health coach I know both Sandy and I have been uh, trying to live primarily for the last number of months keto may or may not be in our journey in the next year or two yeah whatever you choose to decide so eatsimple.ca Erin and Instagram is the same Instagram, Facebook, and web are all the same, eatsimple.ca. And I will extend an offer to Reframe Your Life podcast uh, listeners. Um, So if you initiate um, a health coaching uh, relationship with me in 
the month of January, I'll offer up 20% off my eight week, 12 week and my new six month coaching package. So it's a pretty oh, good saving. Yeah. And uh, awesome. And, yeah. So, uh, you know, you go to eatsimple.ca, you can click the book, a, a free consult button and it's zero obligation. It's honestly just a 30 minute call where we just talk about you. Um, and that's how you can initiate it and potentially get some great savings on, um, you know, achieving that metabolic flexibility for 2018, which as a closing note is the goal. Metabolic flexibility is the goal. Ketosis is not the goal. Awesome. Thank you very Thank much. You. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.